You are listening to the IFH Podcast Network. For more amazing filmmaking and screenwriting podcasts, just go to ifhpodcastnetwork.com. Welcome to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, episode number 290. Accept no one's definition of your life. Define it yourself. Harvey Firestein. Broadcasting from a dark, windowless room in Hollywood, when we really should be working on that next draft. It's the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast, showing you the craft and business of screenwriting while teaching you how to make your screenplay bulletproof. And here's your host, Alex Ferrari. Welcome, welcome to another episode of the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast. I am your humble host, Alex Ferrari. Now, today's show is sponsored by Bulletproof Script Coverage. Now, unlike other script coverage services, Bulletproof Script Coverage actually focuses on the kind of project you are and the goals of the project you are. So we actually break it down by three categories, micro-budget, indie film market, and studio film. There's no reason to get coverage from a reader that's used to reading tentpole movies when your movie's going to be done for $100,000. And we wanted to focus on that at Bulletproof Script Coverage. Our readers have worked with Marvel Studios, CAA, WME, NBC, HBO, Disney, Scott Free, Warner Brothers, The Blacklist, and many, many more. So if you need your screenplay or TV script covered by professional readers, head on over to CoverMyScreenplay.com. Enjoy today's episode with guest host, Dave Bullis. Hey, Steve. Thanks a lot for coming on the show, sir. You're welcome. You're welcome. So, you know, Steve, just to get started, I wanted to ask, what got you into the film industry? Was it, you know, did you like films as, you know, growing up or is it just sort of one of those things where one day you found yourself, you know, sort of writing screenplays or on set somewhere? <laughs> well, uh, <laughs> as it tends to happen, right? My story is a, is, is a little different. Uh, I did love films. I was a huge film buff as a kid and my dad supported that. And uh, early on when I was, I don't know, 10 or 11, he bought a eight millimeter camera and I was one of those kids who made movies in the backyard and tried to do special effects with gunpowder and gasoline which he also supported interestingly enough uh and then uh my dad then when i went off to college actually changed my life uh i went off to college and said i don't know what i should do i guess i'll be a psychologist like my dad that's what he was and he came up after i'd been there a week or so and he said you know what are your courses and i said oh, this is what i signed up for and he said well, this makes no sense you've been making movies in the backyard for 10 years what's going on and he went to my advisors and he said do you have anything like film or movies or television and he changed my whole course schedule this is absolutely true <laughs> and i had never thought about actually trying to do it for a living even though i had been making movies for years and years and doing stop motion animation and then i you know never looked back i went oh well yeah because then you know then there were people in the in the departments you know we didn't have much of a film program at penn state all those years ago like one television course and like two film courses and you had to borrow cameras from the local PBS station and whatnot. But, uh, um, but yeah, but that's how it happened. And then I, uh, then I got drafted, then I went to USC uh, film graduate school and, uh, and there met a lot of the people that I still work with. Uh, and even though it took, almost 10 years from graduating USC to actually break in and make short circuit, we were working in the film business, making short films and little short animated things and films for schools and libraries, TV commercials and whatnot. 
you know, it's funny, Steve, that your your dad was able to change uh, your whole curriculum because, uh, you know, I actually used to work at a college and grades and all that stuff were so secretive. Uh, they actually fired a professor one time because he told a student's father what he got in the class as a, as a final grade wow. before the kid with the kid did. And they, they actually just fired the professor on the spot because of it. Wow. Yeah. It's just, uh, but no, that just, it, it's funny though. Uh, you know, co- it's funny how college has changed so much. Uh, but, uh, but you know, you went to Penn state and, uh, you know, I've actually, uh, you know, been up there. I actually attended a Penn state football game. I, I didn't go there for college, but you know, I, I've been there once. Any lions, <laughs> small world, right? <laughs> and cause you're out in LA now, right? I'm actually, I live in Arizona. Oh, okay. You know, I, I actually have a few friends out there. I go to, uh, I go to LA when as needed. I see. So, you know, just to ask, does Penn State ever ask you to come back to, to maybe talk about screenwriting or directing or anything? I've been bad. I, it's funny, ironic timing. You know, they occasionally send me alumni stuff. I've never let them even know what I do. Uh, I should do that. But no, they haven't, they haven't tracked me down. They have no idea, you know, who I am. Or what. I was kind of an invisible student, geeky guy, and I just went through and left. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I thought maybe they'd have some kind of alumni, you know, sort of headhunter who kind of kept tracking all this stuff. Uh, well, I mean, they at least do, I, you know, but I have okay. I've never responded to any of it, so I, I really oh, sh- I I actually have it on my desk as we speak. I said oh, I should let them know; they probably would like to know. So. <laughs> well, then you know, you could just send them this podcast instead. You could there say, you "I'm not going to go back. Just <laughs> listen to this podcast. Uh, I'm talking to Dave." So, you know, you you, you brought up Short Circuit. Uh, by the way, I watched that movie religiously as a kid. By the way, <laughs> uh, so I want to ask, you know about your whole writing style. I'm actually always fascinated by people's writing styles and their approach to their own art. So I wanted to ask you, Steve, how do you approach writing? You know, do you, you know, do you subscribe to any sort of methods? Uh, do you do very long treatments first or do you just sort of jump right into writing? Brent and I, who have written practically everything together, at least certainly everything has been made, um, and we've been working since the days at USC, both in the short films, and then we wrote Short Circuit, uh, which was our big break. We have a very... Uh, our approach is is outline, outline, outline. We don't normally write a treatment. For Tremors, we did, only because we were trying to sell it, and we couldn't sell it as a pitch for... Because, well, we couldn't. And that didn't... The treatment didn't sell either, by the way. But let me go back. So we outline in great detail. Um, we are not comfortable until we know where the story is going and we're very story oriented some people can start you know sort of with a character don't just say oh there's this character and he's a drug addict and he's got these problems and i'm just gonna think about what he does because he's a drug addict we can't do that we got to know where we're going so uh, and we can't really get excited about something until we know where we're going even if it's a rewrite which you know you get offered quite a bit in hollywood that's pretty much all hollywood does anymore uh even if it's a rewrite, we will sit down before we even say yes to a job. We'll say, okay, we got to go through this movie, figure out what we would change, or, or maybe they're telling us what they want changed. We got to be sure that we can make that work and we got to know where it's going. Because your ending is, is so important in a movie, in our opinion. Uh, in fact, somebody well known, maybe one of the Zucker brothers, said, uh, your ending is 50% of your movie. Somebody said that. And we kind of believe that. So we got to know where we're going, what the, what the surprises are, where the twists and turns are. So, 
Long answer to that question is we outline like crazy. In fact, we used to drive studios crazy and back in the day. Early on when we were getting started, uh, you used to get 12 weeks was a normal time to write a script. And we would outline for eight. And they'd be calling us, so you're writing, are you writing? Well, no, we're still outlining. They're like, are you out of your mind? And, uh, uh, but then we would write it in you know, four weeks because it was done. So, you know, you, you mentioned Tremors when you finally started outlining, uh, you know, did, did, was there ever a, sort of an impetus for that movie where you said, you know what, this is where we want to take it. So, we, you know, you know what I mean? So we already know, you know, what the monster's going to be and we sort of know where the location's going to be. It's going to be in perfection. Uh, you know, is, did that, was that a part of it or did that sort of come in during the outlining phase? Well, there again, we outlined it in great detail, worked on it with Ron Underwood, because the goal with Tremors was to become producers. We were frustrated that everything we had written up till then, um, we discovered, <laughs> naive that we writers that we were, that writers aren't really welcome on the set. Once you're done with the script, they don't want to hear from you again. And we would go to movies and, that we had written and go, boy, that's, that's not what I would have done. And our agent told us, well, look, you guys want to produce, then you want control. And to get that, you're going to have to control the material from the get-go. You can't be rewriting the studio's material, blah, blah, blah. So she said, what do you have in your portfolio, in your piles of notes? And we came up with, we came out of our piles of notes with, we got this underground monster idea. And she said, that's kind of cool. I've never heard of that before. And... Uh, so first we sat down with Ron and we outlined the whole story, figured out who the characters were, where it was going to go. And then we pitched it all over town, couldn't sell it. And then she said, well, let's, uh, uh, maybe you should write a treatment. We wrote a very detailed, like 25 page treatment, did not sell, sent it to everybody. So she said, well, I guess you're going to have to write it on spec. So in between, you know, the regular Hollywood movies we were writing, we were writing tremors on spec. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And then uh, um, took that all over town. And, and it, was a, it was a huge, our agent was a huge part of getting this done. She, she was central. We call her the mother of Tremors. This is Nancy Roberts, later our partner in Stampede Entertainment. Uh, uh, she handpicked, you know, who the script was going to, she did what an agent really is supposed to do. She handpicked who the script, she knew the studio people. She told us in advance what they were going to say. You know, there were, there were situations where uh, uh, because of her relationships, there were certain times if she had a spec script, she couldn't not show it to certain people because then they would be mad that they were shut out of the process. So she said, okay, this is going to be weird. I have to send this to Disney. They are going to say, we, we hate this because it's got so much dust in it. They had it's dust. And we're like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Sure enough, that's exactly what came back. And all of this was, of course, off the record, you know, under the wire. But I, she got off the phone. I think I was there at some point. No, no, she was on the phone to somebody at Disney, and they were passing in a very, you know, polite way. Well, it's not, you know, right for us at this time. And she said, "Come on, Eisner doesn't like dust." And just punched on the other end. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's all really true. And then she handpicked Jim Jacks, a wonderful, wonderful executive, classic old school executive. Uh, who, who at Universal, who 
loved movies, loved all kinds of movies, knew exactly what Tremors was. He saw exactly its B-movie, monster movie roots. And uh, she uh, knew that Jim would get it and he would fight for it at Universal, which is exactly what happened. And then she enlisted Gail Ann Hurd. She was the one who brought Gail Ann Hurd in because Gail Ann looked at our buddy Ron's short movies, which is all he had at the time. He had not done a feature when we did Tremors. And the studio was like, well, we're going to hand off this movie to a guy who's only directed films for schools and libraries. And Gail looked at the movies. Come on, the guy's a filmmaker. Don't worry about it. And, uh, and then she shepherded us, especially at the beginning, uh, you know, made sure we weren't going off the rails in some way to get her in trouble as she was executive producer. And then she saw the dailies and said, good, this is going to work. Yeah, you know, I, I really like Tremors. Uh, and I'm going to tell you why, Steve. Because, you know, first, it, 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 it just seems everything happens naturally. You know what I mean? It, it, it's, you know, and I, again, when you said you, were, you started with characters, you know, when you were working with the idea, it's because, you know, all those characters seem like they, they're real people who live in that world. And they all see, you know, and when they, you know, when some of them finally die, uh, for anyone listening I'm not, who hasn't seen it yet, I'm not going to spoil it, but for anyone when they finally die, you know, you, you actually say, oh my gosh, you know, there, there isn't a ton of guys, you know, that are just getting mauled. These are the, all the, the characters right here. So when they finally die, when, not, when some of them die, they go, oh my gosh, you know, that actually is, is impactful in the story. Thank you. It's those es- escalating circumstances, you know what I mean? That's very and nice even to when, hear. Oh, well, my, my, you know, you're very welcome. And, uh, you know, and because uh, when, when, uh, when you see the worm for the first time, you think that's the monster, and then it becomes bigger, and you're always escalating that further and further and further. And it's always, you know, they, they find a solution, the problem escalates. They find a solution, the problem escalates. I mean, that, that's just, it, it, it's phenomenal. And I don't know if you uh, know who Red Letter Media is, uh, but they actually are a, a popular online uh, review uh, group. And they actually gave it a, you know, they actually have this one segment where they talk about movies they like. And they actually reviewed Tremors, and they, they said it's one of their favorite movies. Oh, great. It's always nice to hear. Uh, all of the things you're saying we worked very hard on. They were all very important to us. We... Uh, my, my partner is not a B-movie monster fan. I saw them all you know, up until the mid-70s or so. I saw everything. Uh, uh, and I knew all the cliches we were playing with. My partner is just all about character. And again, in both of us, it was very important that, that yes, the characters matter, that the, they, they seem, that the plot things that happen seem to come naturally out of the situation. And... Uh, and even the and, even the monsters are consistent in what they do. You know, they don't change the rules. They don't suddenly become indestructible or anything like that. And, and one other compliment I want to give you too is the way that you constructed this with sound, uh, because you know what I mean. Like in the beginning, when um, Earl and um, I forget Kevin Bacon's character uh, Val, yeah, Val, yeah, Val, uh, Earl and Val, when they're looking for uh, you know uh, the the uh, the doctor. They're, you know, they're not yelling his name. They're just sort of walking around and you can really, you know, they're hearing the planks walk. You hear the bucket kick and you're, you know, and then, you know, uh, Val says, well, you know, where's that music coming from? You know what I mean? And, and, and you know, and it, and it just, it always escalates with that sound. And then when, when you have uh, Chang's drugstore, you have that, that, that refrigerator that always makes that noise. And then that causes, you know, further conflict. <laughs> I mean, that's really, really good writing and, and using that audio for filmmaking. Oh yeah. Sound was, well, we knew sound was going to be critical. We were a low budget movie and we, and that's why we, that's part of the reason we picked underground monster as one of the ideas that we decided to develop. Uh, we thought, Oh, well, they're underground most of the time. We'll never see them. And 
heaven knows we had endless problems, even even though we in theory weren't seeing them. But we knew that sound was going to be critical. Uh, uh, we had great sound people, you know. And it was, you know, years ago people have asked me, you know, what what is the bass sound of a graboid? And sadly, I don't know. And I, you know, I've lost track of the people who invented that sound. <laughs> yeah, you know, because uh, for, for everyone that's seen the movie, you know, that's that sound that they make, you know, and it's, it, you know, it just all ties in very well together. And uh, everyone, I'm going to link to Tremors in the show notes to buy off Amazon or Best Buy uh, because it's re- it's totally recommended watching. I, I, I remember seeing Tremors years ago, Steve, and it just blew me away. <laughs> uh, but but see, and I didn't know what I was watching because, you know, now, you know, I, I've, I've studied filmmakers. I've studied this. When I go back, now I can I can sort of go through with a surgeon's scalpel and I can pick out all this stuff. Oh, this is why I found this so fascinating. You know what I mean? And this is why I found this so entertaining. So, and then I and then I get to talk to the guy who wrote it and uh, you know (laughs) and made it. So, uh, so now you could tell me how wrong I am. No, I'm just kidding. But um, but um, no, but no, it's just uh, you know, it's it's just it's a phenomenal film, and that's why I'm so glad you know that that the you know I got to see uh, the franchise. You know what I mean? Like Tremors two, Tremors three. You know, I know you guys. You did uh, four as well, and you also did the TV series. And it was always great to see, you know, this sort of franchise expand. And, you know, because, you know, I always talk to, you know, my friends and always say, you know, some franchises, you know, they they sort of go this way. Some go that way. Uh, you know, I mean, Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street. But Tremors always sort of kept it in perfection one way or another because there was always, you know what I mean? There was always a sort of reason why uh, that, you know, uh, you know, like like in, in Tremors three, when it's called Back to Perfection, right? And that's where Melvin's creating that whole town, right? And mm-hmm. that leads into the whole TV series. But it's just stuff like that. You know what I mean? That's it's all comes organically. Well, we yeah, it was very important to us to make the world consistent, and it wasn't easy. You know, we never expected even to do Tremors two. That came along years later, only because of the success of VHS. You know, Tremors one was not a huge hit. I mean, you know, Kevin Bacon reviewed viewed it as a flop and he absolutely disowned it for many many years and uh uh it wasn't a flop per se but it but it did not do nearly what the studio hoped it would do and and they were disappointed and so we were floored and we got this call from the video department who said hey what about tremors 2 we said what about it they said we want it what so then we all had to sit down because we were busy doing all kinds of other stuff at that point in our careers and said God, can we come up with a Tremors too? And then you know, then we said, well, all right. The big cliche is there's a queen graboid, and we all went, okay, no way, we're doing a queen graboid. <laughs> we're not going to do it. And uh, what do we do instead of that? And then finally, I guess I, I'm going to say it was me. I think it was me. I was driving along in the desert as I often am, and I said, I wonder if they just turn into something small. How weird would that be? And then we ran with that idea. Yeah, and I, I remember seeing that too because that's when they were actually walking on land. Um, I for, and I, I forget the name that that in the movie that that the characters give them. Shriekers, but, uh, they call them. Uh, Shriekers, that's right. Yeah, and then because the, it's the third that they're called Ass Blasters, right? Well, that's their third incarnation. That yeah. gave us yeah. that told us where to go with the third one. We thought, okay, well they'll change into a third form, and they and they, at, at the time, again. It was really important to us to keep the characters consistent, the rules consistent, other than but but still come up with surprises. You you still can't you can't just do the same thing over and over. So uh, that's how we came up with the Ass Blasters. Uh, uh, and in fact, the effects guys, Tom Woodruff and Alec Gillis of Amalgamated Dynamics, were the ones who came up with Ass Blasters. 
because uh, they were web just as invested in we were in protecting their monsters and making them consistent and they have a wonderful design approach it's very real world based they have volumes and volumes of books about animals and creatures and skin textures and they literally came in one day and said hey are you, are you aware of the bombardier beetle and we're like no we're not and they said that's a beetle that mixes chemicals in its butt and makes us sound like a firecracker and we're like we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor And now back to the show. That's a real thing, absolutely. <laughs> we we think that's what ass blasters should do. We're like, we are totally on board with that. Uh, um, there was something else I was going to say. Oh, oh, yes. And then we got thrown a curve by Universal because they said, "Okay, Tremors Three will definitely be the last one. There will definitely not be any more. We understand our market perfectly, and uh, and we know exactly how the DVD world works. And this is it." So we said, "Okay, we'll wrap it up." That'll be, that's cool. We will say that this is the last form that creatures take. Boom, the end, goodbye, perfection. <laughs> and almost immediately was, oh, no, we, we did really much better than we thought. We must have Tremors 4. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, you know, I, I actually saw Tremors 4, and I actually was kind of shocked because I thought, you know, because I, I, I was like, oh, well, I, I didn't know they made another one. And you know what? This is funny, Steve. Here, you know, as I, I, you can kind of tell I'm a movie buff. Uh, I didn't even know you did a TV series. Uh, I actually didn't know you did a TV series until last year. Well, it's easy to do. I mean, there's so much material now. There's a lot of yeah. stuff that I don't know. I mean, the stuff that's being, you know, I, I'm probably not even up on half of Netflix's shows and all this stuff. But anyway, I don't blame you. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, I mean, because, you know, I'm such a movie head and I'm always, like, you, know, you know, looking for different stuff. And I, I said, they did a Terminus TV series before? I said, wow, I didn't notice that. So I actually, uh, I, I actually bought it offline <laughs> and uh, I actually went through and I was like, oh, okay. So it sets up, it's, you know, it's, it's three into the TV series and then four is a prequel. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I have to ask, you know, uh, when you make these Tremor movies, Michael Gross seems like the coolest guy in the world. Is is he is he the coolest guy in the world? Because, I, I mean, he just seems like he would just be an awesome guy to hang out with. He is. He's, he's just a wonderful, funny, intellectual, not full of himself actor. He's very, he's great on the set, you know, at understanding, you know, who has the scene. You know, he's not trying to you know, steal other people's lines or anything. He's, a, he's an actor's actor. And... Uh, uh, and he's so, he's become, you know, he became Bert. He took over Bert, you know, from us. <laughs> and, uh, and he would always, uh, on Tremors 2 and 3 and 4, even though he wasn't playing Bert, uh, uh, he would, he would always come to the set with little pencil, delicately penciled lines in, in the script. And then he wouldn't sit down with him. He would sit down with us before we went. He'd say, okay, I got this idea for a change here and change here. And then we could go back and forth. And it was, well, if you say that, then we won't know this. He said, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. Never mind, never mind. But a lot of times, you know, especially with the Burt character, he's, he, he defends the character. And, uh, um, and, and, he, and he loves it. I, I thought at some point, I thought he was going to get tired of it. But uh, I always have to tell this quick story. Uh, uh, you know, he was a huge television star when he did Tremors 1. He had just finished years and years on Family Ties playing a guy who could not be more different from Bert. And they asked us to read him because he was a big television star and they felt like that would help the movie. And we went, read the father <laughs> on family ties. And we went, well, okay, we'll do it. Cause they want us to do it. Well, he blew us away. You know, he came in because he's an actor <laughs> and he, and he completely, 
just Ron tells the story that he was actually jumping up on his desk at one point, being showing how afraid he was of the monster underground. Anyway, then some years later, Michael told me the story of walking down the street in New York and getting that look that fans get when they start to recognize you. And the guy was walking toward him, and he he sees the look. He knows the fan's going to say it, and then the fan says, "You're that crazy gun guy." And Michael said, "Yes, I finally escaped family ties." <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, "Oh yeah, I was the down on family ties, yeah. crazy gun guy." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, you know, it's funny because I, I, I introduced a friend of mine to Tremors, and he actually goes, wait a minute, that's the dad from Family Ties. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, yes, he's with the Heaton family. Yeah. And uh, uh, I'm sorry, Keaton, not Heaton. And um, I, I said, yeah, you know, and he goes, wow. He goes, this is a, a different role for him. And I said, yeah. And I said, he fits it like a glove. Because uh, one of the, my favorite shots of the whole movie is where uh, Reba McIntyre and Michael Gross are, are in their underground bunker. <laughs> and the wall starts to shake. And they see the, the graboid come through and they, they start to fire. They have those rifles, those uh, bold action rifles. And they're out of ammo very quickly. And the camera just pans over to the wall of guns. <laughs> and they literally just are pulling guns off the wall. And I mean, it's, it's so, if, again, organic characters. And that fits so well because I would actually be disappointed, Steve, if they did not have a wall of guns. Yeah. Oh, we, that, we knew <laughs> that was a key moment in the movie. And it was great at the premieres. And at the test screenings, you know, the audience would, they would laugh through the next, all the way through the next scene. <laughs> yeah, it, and it, you know, it was, you know, a phenomenal. Tremors is definitely one of my favorite movies. And I, I think, you know, when I, when I go back to, you know, writing, writing my own stuff, you know, I always like to dissect movies that I've, I've watched, you know, and I've, I like to dissect movies that I've really liked. And, uh, you know, it, and now because this podcast, I get to talk to people who've, who've written great stuff that, uh, I, I like. So, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's just great being able to talk to you, Steve, and, you. and you know, finding out these little interest, intricities. I think I just butchered that word, by the way, but, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, and, and I want to ask, you know, Steve, you know, you have such a great career, you know, you did short circuit batteries, not included uh, short circuit Two, tremors, as we all just talked about, uh, you did ghost dad, you know, is there any sort of writing advice you could give to anyone listening who's writing a screenplay right now? Well, if you like our style, and that's step number one, if you like the movies we've done, then do what you're doing, first of all. Analyze the stuff you like. That's a lot of, you know, pros, if we'll call ourselves that, would say that. Because it, you won't be copying the stuff that you like. You'll be learning from it. You know, you, you obviously understand setups and payoffs, for example, which is a big thing for me and Brent. Uh, 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 setting something up early in the movie, having it pay off later in a surprising way. Those are hard to do. It's hard to do those correctly and without cheating. And a lot of times you see movies cheat. Uh, um, I feel a little at odds with kind of the current movie-making scene, giving anybody advice, because film after film that has no plot and makes no sense is wildly successful. And I've begun to wonder, you know, I rail at this and I go, oh, oh my day, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and yet, you know, at, this is for years now I've been seeing this. I've started to think, well, the audience has really changed. I think the younger audience maybe does not care as much about what I think is important in storytelling and they truly do enjoy these movies. You know, part of me says, well, they don't really enjoy them. It's just that's the only, that's the only thing they, you know, that's the only thing on this weekend, so they go. 
<laughs> I'm less and less sure of that. But anyway, I would say analyze the stuff you like, whatever it is. You know, if it's ordinary people, analyze that. Uh, um, uh, uh, and, uh, and write a lot, by the way. You'll hear this, too, from other people. Don't get hung up on your one script. Uh, Brent and I did this you know, early on. We would write a script and we'd go over and over and over and over. And we've looked at one of those early scripts. This was like four or five scripts before Short Circuit. You know, we go, well, it wasn't very good. And none of the versions we did were very good. It just wasn't very good. You got you to gotta move on. Write something, get it done, say goodbye to it, write something else. Uh, if, you're, if you're a writer, you have plenty of ideas. And the worst, worst case is you find out, well, maybe I don't like it. You know, you do four or five scripts and you go, I don't like this. That's fine too. Uh, but write a lot. Don't get hung up on one thing and, you know, and beat it to death. Um, you know, push yourself to, to a degree, look outside your comfort zone. Although I do think that, you know, if you like emotional, uh, what's the Julianne Moore picture she just did uh, where she was a lady with Alzheimer's. I can't think of, I'm, I'm, I can't remember the name of it. That's a very emotional picture that I would never try to write, right? But maybe, you know, other people would. They would think that's exactly the kind of movie I want to do. Study those um, and write a lot. I've already said what I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know, that's great advice, you know, Steve. Uh, you know, just going through and analyzing, you know, movies that you like and why you like those. And, uh, like, for instance, I had uh, Victor Miller on here. And Victor Miller wrote Friday the 13th Part 1. Uh, by the way, which also starred Kevin Bacon, by the way. Uh, wow, so, I did not know Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah, small world, right? So, uh, you know, and uh, we were talking about, you know, how do you, you know, how do you break it down? And Victor said, listen, he goes, I've been doing this for 30 years now, whatever. And he said, I I'm still always looking for different ways of writing and telling a story. He goes, so, you know, and, and, and he said to me that, you know, he's always looking for a different method, something to sort of crack the story or another way to write. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. And now back to the show. And, uh, you know, it's just, it just very reassuring and unassuring at the same time to hear veterans like you and him you know, just talk about screenwriting and always say, you know, they, they, even with hits, because Tremor, I mean, because again, you have, you've had Tremors, uh, you've had, you know, Short Circuit and, you know, even, and he's, you know, had Friday the 13th part one, he's had a few Emmy award winning uh, pieces and it's still, it's again, it's reassuring and it's, it's a little worrisome to hear that, you know, there's always, they still don't have it all figured out. Oh, you yes. know what I mean? Oh, even, we, even, if, yes. even if they're these hits. Every script, yes, every script has its own life that it takes on and its own problems that it throws at you. And you suddenly find yourself going, why did I even like this idea? I feel so trapped now. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you're beating your head against the wall, but. But you know that's the, that's the great thing. It is a creative process. Uh, they, yeah, they do. They do. Each one is different. Brent and I are doing one right now, as a matter of fact. That is that is very different from anything we've ever done. Ron challenged us. Uh, he said, "You know what? I would really like to do another low budget movie." Ron is big in television right now. He's directed every TV show you've ever heard of, <laughs> and he goes from show to show to show. And he said, "You know, it'd be fun to do another low budget movie like we did Tremors. Why don't you guys write a sci-fi movie with no special effects?" <laughs> And we went, really, Ron? And then we thought about it. We sat down, and so we actually have come up with an idea. We're about, I don't know, halfway through the process now, our anguishing process. 
it was really hard. I mean, we just, you know, because we just, we just had to throw out idea after idea after idea until we came up with this idea that I don't want to talk about. But anyway, yes. Good, good note. Yes. Good writers are always questioning what they're doing and always, a lot of times, I think, foundering quietly in their dark corners. <laughs> I, and, you know, I'm not even a professional writer yet. Uh, Steven, but I, you know, I often feel that way. Uh, I often feel, feel, I always feel like, what the hell did I start? Uh, but, um, but, uh, you know, it's funny. I actually pitched an idea one time and the producer hated it. Right. And he came back to me later on and he goes, you know what? I mean, this is late months later and he was already working on something else, but he he goes, you know what? I was driving down the, the, down, down this, uh, this uh, interstate and he goes, you know, and all of a sudden I couldn't stop thinking about your script idea. And I started laughing to myself and he goes, you know, it was a lot better than I thought That's it was. Funny. And I said, see, it's always those rose colored glasses. That's a rare producer. That's uh, great. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but you know, uh, uh, Steve, you know, we've been talking for about 30 minutes now and I just want to ask you in closing, is there anything that, you know, we, we didn't get a chance to discuss that you wanted to, or is there any sort of thing you want to say, sort of put a, uh, a period at the end of this whole conversation? Oh, um, I'm writing novels now. I'd like <laughs> to mention that, <laughs> to plug them, um, uh, uh, among the other things I'm trying to do. Um, but, but as far as, uh, it, oh, it seems like, was there anything else advice-wise, I would say? Nothing springs to mind. I'm much better with the questions. <laughs> <laughs> uh, where can people find you at online? Oh, well, the Stampede Entertainment maintains a website. Um, you know, and we always have hopes that we will sell something of our own and ramp up into production. Uh, stampede-entertainment.com. And then I'm on Facebook, of course, as S.S. Wilson. And... Um, and the books are available at Amazon, Tucker's Monster and Freddy's Freddy Cats. And I will link to all that in the Thank show you. notes, everyone. Uh, oh, my you pleasure. You have Steve. an impressive yeah. list of, of podcasts, by the way. There's like 150 of them or something. Uh, I, uh, yeah, like 127 or 8. Now oh, okay. Well, I overstated it a little bit, but I was quite impressed <laughs> when I went to your site and I listened to a few things, of course, before I agreed to do this. And uh, um, so I was impressed with your with your polished approach. Oh, thank you. I, I've actually been proud of that uh, because I had somebody, uh, I won't say who, but they, they came on and they said, Dave, thank you for not being that guy. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> they said, you know, they said like, they, there's so many people who have podcasts now. And they said, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of like in their mom's basement and they, they get people on the podcast so they can just like, sort of like be malicious. You know what I mean? And it's just like, Oh, so you made a movie, huh? <laughs> what do you and, I, and I'm like, no, I would never be that guy. Uh, I hate people like, cause I, I actually, Steve, you know, real quick, I, I was on a podcast with a friend of mine. And he asked me to be on his podcast. So I, I went to his house, which, by the way, we went to his mom's basement to record this. And, and then he started going like, oh, so uh, you made a TV pilot and pitched it to NBC, huh? And I said, yeah. Well, is that, is that bad? And he's like, well, I didn't, you know. And he's, this is the podcast, by the way. And he's like, oh, it kind of reminds me too much of Clerks. <laughs> I said, oh, I said, yeah, I was like, and? And and, and honestly, Steve, I'm, I'm pretty good at thinking on my feet. So what I did was I started – 
you know, I was like, if I started insulting you right now, dude, I said, believe me, I said you would cut this all out. <laughs> and then finally he started to like ease up a little bit after we exchanged little words. But, uh, but yeah, I, I never would, would, would bring somebody on just to uh, insult them. And I thank God that I've never had one bad podcast. I've never had anybody had bad feelings. Everything's always been great. Good. Uh, so I'm proud of that. Good. Well, you should be. That's that's good. that's good to hear. And I'm forewarned. I, I haven't had that experience yet. <laughs> so I I can put you. Yeah, I can give you that warning. I'll be like the harbinger of hair of horror. <laughs> uh, you know what I mean? Like always warning you about things that are coming. Uh, kind of like old Fred and Tremors. But he was he didn't tell them. He just he but his dead body showed them that there was something <laughs> right. Out there. Uh, Steve, I want to say thank you very much for coming on the podcast, sir. And uh, please stay in touch. If you need anything, let me My know. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care, care bro. You too. Bye-bye. I want to thank Dave so much for doing such a great job on this episode. If you want to get links to anything we spoke about in this episode, head over to the show notes at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv forward slash 290. Thank you so much for listening, guys. As always, keep on writing no matter what. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Screenwriting Podcast at bulletproofscreenwriting.tv. 